0: Because we discover that our life can end in a second. But one day, all of us will pass through the turnstile of death. Now, I don't know if you know what a turnstile is. We have them when we go into football matches in England, otherwise known as soccer games. And as you walk into it, these bars go click, click, click. And if you stop in the middle to try and go backwards, there is no way you can do it because the bar is stuck. In fact, we have these turnstile gates in England where you walk in, and as you go through, you hear it clicking, click, 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 click. And I have often thought to myself, you know, that's what we see and hear in our lives, isn't it? That we're continuously marching on, some of us very brazenly. Some of us without a concern for other people, some of us without a concern for the world, some of us without a concern for ourselves. In fact, when it comes to our eternity not a thought because we're so taken up with our life and all that's going on and everything that has become precious to us matthew 16:26 says for what profit is it a man to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul so changing tack slightly what would you say was your most valuable possession If we were to ask you, I mean, if anyone really wants to shout out and tell me, you're very welcome to, but I suspect the embarrassment level could be too strong because you know where this conversation is going this evening, don't we? But what would it be? Perhaps it would be something of um, a very personal nature, maybe something that somebody you love very much has given to you and you treasure it. Perhaps if you're a girl, a piece of jewelry that has been given to you and it means a lot to you. So perhaps something of great sentimental value you would describe as the most important the most precious possession that you have or perhaps it's something of great financial value you've got uh, tucked away a little safe somewhere and in that safe you've got a load of gold coins and you're very pleased that you've got those gold coins and you keep them safe and occasionally you just go in and count them just to make sure that they're all there and that none have gone missing since you last I've discovered my kids have worked out the combination to the safe so I have to think of trying to change it but my ability to, 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 to consider how to do that is being stretched so Maybe it's something of a material nature, something that you see as being valuable, something that other people think is valuable. And to you, it's something that has become very, very precious to you indeed. So perhaps sentimental, perhaps great financial value. Maybe it's something of a social significance. Or perhaps it is something absolutely, and this is the saddest thing of all about our society today, it's something utterly trivial. It's something of no value in any description whatsoever. And sometimes, perhaps if you ever take the moment, you think to yourself, wow, that is trivial. But it is absolutely trivial. But however much a treasured belonging may be worth, there is something that you and I have which is so much more valuable. What is it? You can shout out now if you want to. Sorry. Sorry. Yes, our eternity, but what is it that we have within us, part of us? What is it? Our soul, absolutely. Our soul is of tremendous importance, it's of greatest value to us, and yet so often we don't pay any attention to it. We just carry on living day in, day out, no change. You notice that we live in a time when people seem to pay more attention to utter trivia than they do to the most important issues of their life, to their soul. And on the note of trivia, has everyone played Trivial Pursuit? We all know what that game is. Did you know it was invented in Canada by two uh, bored journalists, I think, in 1982, but it's a game that has become very popular around the whole world. In fact, I think it's now rivaling things like Monopoly and Scrabble. Have you ever played Scrabble with someone from the Netherlands? Okay, Because if you're English, you're desperately trying to get rid of that Z. All right, And the Dutch come in and they just put words down. I mean, I thought it was only Eastern European languages that had so many Zs in it. But uh, <coughs> Dutch has lots of Zs. So don't play um, uh, scrabble with, uh, uh, an, at least an English language version of scrabble with, uh, with someone from the Netherlands, because they always seem to be able to come up with words that you'd never thought of. But yes, it's, it's, it's become uh, a, a game which is as popular around the world, literally, as some of these old board games were. And to play, you simply have to answer a few questions, uh, like, how many tentacles does a squid have? Does anybody know? Eight legs, and how many tentacles? Two, okay? So I Googled it just before I came, so it's on Google, so it must be true. Or another question is, what was the name of Sir Isaac Newton's dog? <clears throat> okay, so you wouldn't get very far in trivial pursuit, would you? Any ideas? Who's Googling it right now? Hands up. <laughs> Diamond, apparently. That was what his dog was called, Diamond. And the dog hit a candle over and burnt the load of his... his his research papers and he was very upset with the dog at one point but these are the sort of trivial questions that you get in trivial pursuit okay they're not earth-shattering questions but you can win the game if you can know the answers or if you know the answers and some of us seem to treat life like a game of trivial pursuit we seem caught up in meaningless questions unimportant questions unimportant questions about life and in particular our life And in particular, our relationship with God. And in particular, our eternity. Do we believe it? It seems to be that more and more people are content with the trivial rather than the things of great value. The games we play reflect the way we live. And the age in which we live is characterized as having wrong values. People seek to live on substitutes instead of depending on God who gives us life. And that's the story that Jesus was speaking about when he told the parable of the rich fool. And this parable says it all. There are many of us that can relate to this parable. We've lived our lives perhaps for many years. Maybe you're here this evening and this is how you live your life. And as Rachel read those scriptures, you're suddenly thinking to yourself, now I'm in trouble. Because everything that I've just heard applies to me. I didn't know that story was in the Bible. I never knew it. I've never heard it before. And then suddenly, all these things click into place. And you're saying to yourself, actually, that's me. That's exactly how I view things. So the central character of the parable is the man who had everything. He had it all. He had all that money Goodbye. Now, as I've said before, and we understand this very clearly from Scripture, there is nothing wrong with wealth. There is nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money that's the problem. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. If we're wealthy, then we see this as a gift from God. And what a responsibility it is to be able to deal with the wealth that we have. Very simply, money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. However hard you try, some people stay up all night thinking to themselves, I wish I could get to sleep. And they haven't had to buy a new bed. Remember, there's two things that you should always spend money on. It's a decent pair of shoes and a bed because you're either in one or the other. (laughs) So make sure that those are the two areas that you're prepared to Uh, to put some, uh, some money into if you're going to. But money can't buy you sleep. It can buy you the best bed in the world, but it won't buy you sleep. Money can buy you books, but it can't buy you brains. It can buy food, but it can't buy you an appetite. It can buy a house, but it can't buy you a home. It can buy medicine, but it can't buy you health. Money can also buy sinful pursuits and pleasures. But it can never purchase the peace of the gospel. It can never purchase our salvation, even though there are people who seem to think it can. If I give my money away, surely God's going to be gracious to me and notice me and remember me and save me and give me salvation. Bing Crosby. Everyone know who Bing Crosby was? Uh, well, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. We could ask Randy to give us a rendition, but maybe that wouldn't be appropriate. He sold over a 100 million copies of that. It's one of the, the highest selling uh, songs of all times. And he was once asked <clears throat> by an interviewer on a TV show why he had such a calm and unruffled nature. Why was it that he was able to be at peace? Why was it that people sensed that this was a man at ease? And do you know what he said? Any ideas? Everyone's too afraid to to answer. Well, listen. Bing Crosby answered by reaching into his jacket pocket, and he pulled out a thick wad of $100 bills. And he said to the interviewer, my friend, this helps. He believed that his happiness came from the cash that he had in the bank. Now, I asked uh, a couple of girls earlier, young, young women, if they knew who Robbie Williams was, and um, <laughs> Julia said no. <laughs> I was trying to be topical, okay. Well, if, you, if anyone here knows who Robbie Williams was, Uh, He went solo from Take That. And if this is completely gobbledygook for you, that's fine. It does help if you're from Britain, because all this took place in Britain. But Robbie Williams, who was part of Take That, a very successful boy band, back in 2002, he signed a deal with EMI, which is still the biggest music signing deal in the British music industry history. And he stood on the steps of the EMI offices in London, and he stated this. He said, I'm going to be richer than I can possibly imagine. And he gave the impression that life was going to be great. Everything was going to go swimmingly well because he was going to be so rich and so wealthy. But he has suffered from mental illness, obesity, self-esteem issues, alcoholism, and substance abuse throughout his life. And he states that he is lonely and empty, even though he's worth over three hundred million dollars King Solomon in the Bible reflected on what he had gained for himself and he described it all as vanity of vanities and the same thing was true of the rich fool in the scripture that we have just had read to us in this parable he had plenty of everything except peace yet despite all his possessions this man had a massive problem. And what was his problem? It was that he had so much he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't know what to do with all the access that he had, the excess that he had. He had too much. He'd been stuffing stuff behind cupboards and and on the bookshelf and and... and in the seat of the car or wherever it was to try and put it. And every time he put it there, more came in and it kept coming in and the problem just multiplies and he's trying to find somewhere else to put it all and he just has run out of space and he's struggling to know what to do. So he says, I know, we better build better, bigger barns. I always feel sorry for any farmers with this particular parable. (laughs) And he pulled down his barns and he built bigger ones. And they were all full. And he kept on filling them up. He had too much. What am I going to do with it all? He asks himself. Perhaps he thought about giving the excess away. But that didn't sound like a good idea to him. It didn't sound like what he wanted to do. So he gave no thought to the widows and to the orphans and to the people in need, those that were lying on the street, the ones that he walked past because he was completely self-satisfied and self-indulgent. What does the Bible say? Proverbs 30 verse 8, give me neither poverty nor riches. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 8 that we should be content having food, and clothing you know in reality anything more than that becomes a burden you might not think it but it does wealth and worry are forever welded together if you haven't got it you can't worry about it can you Notice how the rich man's problems were actually hidden. Verse 17 says, and he thought within himself. But whilst his problem was initially hidden, he revealed his plan. He would pull down barns and he would build bigger barns so that he could eat, drink, and be merry. And of course, people would have seen what was going on. They recognized what was happening. You see, his idea very simply was to hoard his wealth. To hoard the very thing that was causing him the problem. In fact, in his selfishness, and it's shown very clearly, and Rachel referred to it six times here in this passage, he uses the word I. And he also refers to my barns and to my crops and to my goods and to my soul. Now, the last my, my soul, really shows his folly and his foolishness, doesn't it? He was a farmer, so there was absolutely no doubt that God had provided him with his wealth. The seeds grew, and they produced a good yield. God had given him everything, but he had forgotten the giver of all good gifts, If it were not for God, he could never have had the crops, nor the goods, nor a soul. And all the man's thinking and planning was based on the false assumption, and it's the one that we struggle with as well. It was based on the false assumption that time was on his side. We all do this, we're all immortal. Particularly, I've said this before so many times, particularly young men. You know, they bought their first motorbike or whatever it is. First car. And they're immortal. Never going to have an accident. Not going to face that. We've all the time in the world. Some of us are young teenagers. Teenagers. Twenties, early twenties, thirties, forties. And we don't spend a moment thinking about the date that we don't know. He lived his life as though he would live forever. Is Dennis here this evening? I can't see him. But anyway, Dennis and I were talking uh, at the Bible, at the... the um, The Bible Club for the Children, we were talking together and we just found ourselves agreeing that time goes by so terribly quickly. And before you realize it, life's nearly over. You remember back to the days when you were at school, when you were a child, when you had no problems, no worries, no difficulties. And it just goes by so quickly. It seems only a moment that we were kids and life was free and easy. We live on substitutes. We're always coming up with another plan to be happy and to take away the pressure that life puts us under. And at the same time, we ignore the only one who really matters. Jesus. You see, God commands all people everywhere to repent of their sin. That's what God has said in his word, Acts 17, verse 30. I want you to notice that this is a personal call. This is God in his word speaking to you. There's a commandment that he gives. He commands all people everywhere to repent of their sin, to turn uh, from the direction that they're going, to change their heart, their mind, and to look to God. It's a personal call and it's a call to you. It's a call to me. It's a call to every single person in the whole world. But friends, are you listening to God speaking? Are you interested in what He has to say? Or do you just turn your back on His Word and say, God never speaks to me? Of course He does. And here's the thing. That very voice that commands us to repent is the same voice that says... Your time's up. The same voice, repent, turn to me, is the same voice that says, time's up. God is perfect, and if He calls you a fool, He's right in His assessment. Psalm 41, verse 1, we read that the fool has said in His heart, There is no God. And we come across people. Time and time again who say this, maybe as Randy's out uh, with the evangelism team. And people will say, "Earth, there's no God. You're wasting your time. What's wrong with you? They're fools. That's what the Bible calls them. That's God's assessment of them. What do you say? The rich fool revealed this attitude by leaving God out of his thinking, planning, and his scheming. And many of us do this. It is how people live, oblivious to God. Psalm 74 and verse 18 says, A foolish people blasphemes God's name. Now that brings it home, doesn't it? And what do we hear in the streets? What do we hear if we listen to the radio? What do we hear if we watch television? What do we read in books and magazines? What about you? The rich fool did this by talking of my soul psalm 107 verse 7 we read that fools are afflicted because of their transgressions now that is a very very powerful verse fools are afflicted because of their transgressions in other words our sin directly has an impact on how we feel what's going on in our lives the afflictions that we face and many of us have great afflictions because of the way that we have lived our lives sin always has a consequence But we don't want to admit it. If you're a drunk or a drug user, you will be afflicted because of your sin. You could lose your family. You could lose their love and their respect for you. You could lose your health or worse, you could lose your life as you open yourself to the risk of overdoses or HIV, or a whole range of other viruses and infections that are associated with certain lifestyles. You will lose your wealth as you're no longer able to work and hold down a job and spend every penny you have funding the habit, the sinful habit that you've allowed to come into your life. You'll break the law, you will steal to keep the habit that you have developed going, because sin has consequences. Proverbs one seven says that the fool despises wisdom. And so often that is speaking just so clearly to us. Proverbs eighteen verse seven that the fool is destruction in his mouth, and Proverbs twenty one twenty, that the fool spends foolishly true treasure. It's entrusted to us and we fritter it away. And the rich fool in this parable is guilty on all accounts. You see, God not only knows the date of our birth, but he also knows the date of our death. And there is coming a day when the doctor will put down his stethoscope for the last time, the pastor will preach his last sermon, the builder will pack away his tools forever. And the farmer will plow his field for the final time. And for all of us, that day is coming closer and closer and closer. And is probably sooner than all of us think. Friends, time stands still for no one. And whilst it's a shock, the no one includes you. Ephesians 5 also reminds Christians to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And those days are more evil now than they have ever been. And we have to redeem the time. Once a man heard a sermon in which all listeners were challenged to ensure that each relationship was right. Each relationship was right in their lives. That apologies were owed to none. And it might be as I say that right now, some of you are thinking, I've got some apologizing to do. I've got to repair some relationships. The man was so moved that he went home and he wrote a letter of apology to his mother whom he had wronged many, many times. And ten days later, he got the message to say, your mother has been taken seriously ill. she's in hospital. He rushes halfway across the country, a couple of hundred miles or whatever. And when he gets to the hospital, she's in a coma. She never recovers and she passes away. And then as he's sorting out her possessions, the things that she had, he finds the letter and he can see that it's been opened. And he can see where tears have stained the letter as his mother has read it. And he knows that the relationship was mended just in time. In contrast is the story of the man who said, I'd give anything for just five more minutes with my wife. We had this massive argument. She drives out and she's killed. Just five minutes to be able to put things right, to tell her that I love her and always will, and to be able to say, I am sorry. Friends, God has a timetable for all of us. We also know from the Bible the brevity of life. And the brevity of life raises the question of time. You see, our human decisions affect eternity. We've got to understand this. Two minutes can wreck and ruin a life as well as one's eternal destination. A great Baptist uh, pastor in England once said, A person is not truly ready to live unless at all times he is ready to die. Are you ready to die? You think, Mike, this is terribly morbid. It's the reality of our life. If you felt the tap on the shoulder and you knew the words, your soul is demanded of you, would you be ready? My grandfather on my mother's side, his name was Alex. My mother's maiden name was Trafford. And Alex Trafford loved the Lord Jesus. He was known in the village of Chilton Polden in Somerset as a man who could be relied upon to tell you the truth. He was also known as a man who wasn't afraid to tell you the truth, but he always did it in love. And he had a great concern for his neighbors and for his friends. Particularly those who didn't know and love the Lord Jesus. Because he was aware of time. He was aware of eternity. And he took every opportunity to share the love of the Lord Jesus. And I remember even, uh, this is going back 15, 20 years, people coming to me and saying, Oh, you're Alex Trafford's grandson." And they would tell me about his love for them. And they would say he wouldn't let it go because he loved them. My grandfather had also said, and you might think this a strange thing, but he'd also said that when it came for the time for him to go home to be with his Lord, he'd like it to take place in his favorite place which was his little country gospel hall in Eddington in Somerset in England. And sure enough, after the breaking of bread service in which he had stood to pray, he sat down and he bowed his head and he went home to be with Jesus. The rich fool had made no preparation to meet his God. And this brings us to our closing question. Are you ready for God's personal summons for you? Because it will come. Are you ready for that tap on the shoulder? And the words your soul is demanded of you. Just like anywhere in the world, small villages are great when it comes to news. News. News travels very fast in small villages, doesn't it? Even in Norwich, you can't do anything before. Uh, you can't say anything from this pulpit, actually, without the rest of the, the community knowing about it. And uh, news spreads fast. And Nobby was a very rich farmer in, uh, I think, the village of uh, Cossington in England. We had uh, It was called the Polden Villages, Cossington, Chilton, Polden, and Eddington. So Nobby was a rich farmer in Cossington, and he died. And news spread quickly. And the question that was uppermost on everybody's minds was, how much did he leave? How much did he leave? I was just going to say, can anyone tell me the answer? The answer is everything. He left the lot. Couldn't take it. His two sons had a fight over it. His casket was lowered into the ground, and the reception afterwards was marked by the fact that the two sons had a fist fight over the details of the will. Nobby lost the lot. everything and the rich fool in this parable also lost everything but he also paid a terrible price for his foolishness because it cost him his soul and he did not realize that the risk of eternal loss is too great to gamble with So, friends, I ask you this evening, where are you spending eternity? Do you know? You say, well, I've never thought about it. Then this evening I say to you, think about it. Start to understand. Perhaps you just hope that all is going to be okay. You know, I think that's the category most people fall into. I'm sure it'll all be okay on the day. You know, pretty good chap. Tried pretty hard. Well, I've got news for you. It won't be okay on the day unless you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and placed your hope and your trust in him and repented of your sin and turned to him and that you know him as your savior. In your heart, you've been given the assurance that you now belong to Jesus and that Jesus belongs to you If you knew that the Airbus 320 to Amsterdam was gonna crash, you'd be a fool to get on board, wouldn't you? Can you imagine sat there with your seatbelt fastened, clinging on for dear life's sake? And so it is folly, it's foolishness to go through life without making preparations to ensure that all will be well at your final destination. Our Lord Jesus Christ had an hour of death as well. In fact, he was born as a man so that he could die. Have you ever considered that before? Voluntarily, he went to the cross to take on himself all the foolishness and all the rebellion of which we human beings are guilty. He died carrying the load of the world's sin on himself. The sting of death is sin, but the sinless Jesus Christ allowed himself to be fatally stung by the wrong of us all. What's the supreme act of foolishness that we commit today? It is to spend our days on earth rejecting God. The greatest act of wisdom is to get right with God. The God who made us. And before who we will all ultimately stand on final judgment. And so this evening. I implore you. I encourage you. I plead with you. Ask Jesus Christ. Right now. Obey his commandment to repent. Repent. Call to him to be your Lord and your Savior in life and through death to all eternity. This is God's word. He calls us and he's calling you right now. And he says, I love you and I want you for all eternity. Let's pray. And so our gracious Heavenly Father, as we sit here and the seconds tick by, every second is a second that we're closer to that time when we will, all of us will meet you. Each and every one here will meet with you, but it will be in judgment, and it is only those who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ and confessed their sin, repented of that sin, and have followed the scriptures, your word, to repent and to turn to you. And if we haven't, then we will have to face the wrath of God. And it won't matter what we say. It won't matter how well we grovel. But we will not have the Lord Jesus Christ as our advocate to stand on our behalf. And to say, I know this person. This person is mine. And so, Lord, I pray that if there is anybody here this evening, that right now in the quietness of these few moments, that they would call out to you and say, Lord Jesus, I'm not going to waste a single second more. Please. Come into my heart and into my life. Change me. Make me be the person that you want to be. Take away the pain, the longing, the emptiness, the loneliness, the fear. The triviality on which my life is based. And bring me into your kingdom. Save me.